morning, everyone. Um, I'm pretty sure I took that Ecclesiastes thing off my slides, but apparently I did not. Uh, this is not about Ecclesiastes per se, uh, so you can just ignore that. Um, that's kind of an indication of how my week's been going. Um, by way of introduction, I'll just say that uh, when I wrote this sermon, um, um, my head was in a different space. And then I, sort of last night and this morning, I got up and the Holy Spirit saying, Paul, it's a good sermon. It's what you want to say, just not the way you've written it. So I'm going to kind of preach extemporously from my notes here and from the Bible. And uh, I hope that what God has prepared is going to come through from his word. That's what we want every week. Um, and uh, welcome to those uh, families that are at the campground. I'm sure somebody out there has data, and I know you're all watching right now. And so uh, it's a good crowd here today, actually, G given that there's like 30 or 40 people away camping right now. Uh, it's a pretty good crowd. But uh, we are sort of leaping off of last week. Last week, we concluded the book of Ecclesiastes, and we considered the gospel of Ecclesiastes and how to share it. And uh, in as much as we could look at what Solomon was doing in Ecclesiastes and say, okay, he's teaching us how to do the gospel. He's examining his culture, he's examining the human condition, and he's taking the word of God and the knowledge of God, and he's applying it to people very directly. And the conclusion of that message, some of us might have thought, that's hard to do. I can't do it. I mean, I'm not Solomon. You know, I'm not even Pastor Paul. I'm not like these people who just know how to take the gospel and reword it and make it work for people in their life. And uh, e even though the Apostle Peter, as we saw last week, says that for all Christians, all the people that follow Jesus were to be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so we're all supposed to be able to share this gospel. But it isn't that simple. We are all engaged in the mission of evangelism. We're all in the, engaged in this purpose of sharing the hope when God gives us the opportunity, but it is difficult. Well, today is really about some good news for those of you, like myself, frankly, who feel that we don't have a lot to offer in the way of sharing the gospel. Because today what I want to talk about uh, is something else that's very important to Peter and to Paul and to Jesus, and it is, as I titled the message, the gospel of the gathered church and how to share it. And what that means is that from the very beginning, God intended that us simply gathering together the way we do on a typical Sunday morning is a proclamation of the gospel. And so therefore, for those of you who are feeling like, I'm not very good at sharing the gospel, I'm not very good at evangelizing, the good news for you is, your gospel participation involves you simply showing up. Just be here on a Sunday morning, and you are engaged in gospel mission. Just show up, and keep showing up, and keep participating. And you can sort of check off in your list I've got that gospel thing covered. I am participating in the evangelism, in the sharing of the gospel. Because gathering for church on Sunday has God-ordained and God-infused gospel purposes, and they're not really optional. They are for all believers to participate in. And so simply showing up at church and sticking with it is accomplishing more for the declaration of the gospel than you realize 
and you're getting more credit for it than you realize. And so I'm just going to pray now and ask God to just bless his word and the lessons that he's teaching from it. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the good news of who you are. We thank you that by being here even and participating on a Sunday morning, we are sharing in that mission and that ministry of declaring your praises to the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to, by way of, before getting to further uh, text in Peter, I want to give you what I hope is about 3,000 years of Old Covenant history in about two minutes. Um, So where is this idea that God's people gathered is intentional, that it is part of God's plan? And and here's the reality of of the whole covenant of God or the whole work of God through history is that um, we fell away from God. God in the Garden of Eden created man and woman and we walked with him and we praised him and we worshipped him and God gave us an instruction and he said be fruitful and multiply and if things had just stayed like that Adam and Eve would have been fruitful and multiplied. The world would have filled with God worshippers. A whole planet, millions, billions of people worshipping God. And that's what God had in mind, is that everyone would worship and praise him to his glory. Of course, there was the fall. And what happened was we decided we weren't going to worship God. We weren't going to praise God. We were going to make ourselves God. We knew better than God, and we went our own way. And ever since then, God has been putting back in place a plan to return the world to the way he intended it. Because the world is not the way God intended it. And so God is in this process of creating worship again and restoring worship and glory to him worldwide that is what he is ultimately going to accomplish in our glorification and the consummation of time but in the meantime in the old testament he had a plan to do this he said i'm going to create a people amongst all these pagan nations i'm going to create a people a nation from abraham and that nation is going to be different than everybody else this nation is going to know me this nation is going to worship me and here's the key point, the connection that we're making. That nation, among all the other nations, they'll be able to look at that nation and say, oh, look at them, look at their God, look at how they praise, look at how they worship. And by Israel, the nation of Israel existing in the world, demonstrating and worshiping God, others would be able to watch and perceive and come into the knowledge of God. And that's what happened. Um, If we look at Psalm 96, 1 to 3, you see uh, here the psalmist writing songs that Israel would sing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. You see, that was the point. That, That was God's plan, is that Israel would declare his praise among the whole world and that they would be a source of knowledge of God to all the people and all the nations around him. And he gave them a temple. He gave them a temple and and a place where they went to worship. And so they would go to worship on a regular basis at the temple and people could see them worship and it had different courts and different sections and furniture and things like that. And they went there and they worshiped and they put God on display for all the nations. And it was successful to a degree. Um, People other than Jewish people, other than Israel, nations did come to know and worship Yahweh, even right up to the time of Jesus. 
Uh, The historian Josephus writes that the synagogues in the first century were attracting Greek people in droves. The book of Acts calls them God-fearers, and Cornelius is one that we have there. And Josephus, this historian, describes the synagogue in Antioch attracting crowds of Greeks due to the praise of the Jewish people. Uh, Twice, in uh, just before and just around the time of Jesus, uh, Jews were expelled from Rome in B.C. 139 by Hispanus and in 41 A.D. by Claudius, both times because too many Roman citizens were coming to the knowledge of Yahweh. And so they actually like, banished Jews out of the city because they were converting so many people. So, so when it comes to the nation of Israel, when it comes to their displaying the glory of God, when it comes to the temple, there is a purpose here that has always been in God's mind that his people, as they gather, as they worship, as they pray, will be part of the proclamation of his glory. Where does that leave us as the church? Well, so it's continuing on from last week, I return to 1 Peter. And you have to understand, 1 Peter is a book that's about how all parts of our life are to be lived in such a way as to glorify God. And 1 Peter 2, 4-9 talks specifically about how the church now reflects the glory of God and is meant to participate in this ministry of presenting God to the people that surround the church. 1 Peter 2, 4-9 says this, As you come to him, speaking to Christians, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious... You yourselves, Christians, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So there's Christians who believe in this stone, that's Jesus, and those that don't believe, and they don't know what to do with them. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this part back here is kind of a big preamble where Peter is invoking the picture of the temple. And I'm trying to figure out, why is Peter invoking this picture of the temple? Why is, in the church age, with Christians, he's hearkening back to the old covenant, hearkening back to the temple? And I think, with my little summary of God's sort of arc of history and his intent with Israel in the Old Covenant, we've touched on some of that. When it comes to the temple, the image Peter invokes for Christians being built together as stones in a new temple, the, the, the picture and the image of the church becomes very interesting. Because when the second temple was built, the temple that was in operation during Jesus' time, the temple that Peter's listeners are thinking of, It had a special court added to it that wasn't in the first temple. It had an outer court called the Court of the Gentiles because the Jewish people at that time did not let non-Jews into the temple. The Gentiles had to stay outside the temple, and they felt they were keeping it holy that way. But here's the thing. The original temple never had a court of Gentiles. 
not because God didn't want Gentiles to come near the temple, but because his original instruction was that all nations could enter and worship him in the temple if they desired. If we look in Numbers, he's speaking to the people who are his people. And the tabernacle is built, and the place of offering is there, and the place of worship is there for them. And he says, and if a stranger is sojourning with you, or anyone is living permanent among you, and he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, which is something you would do at the temple or at the tabernacle, he shall do as you do. For the assembly there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations, and the sojourners shall be like before the Lord. One law, one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Now, now just, again, just think about what I'm saying here and what Peter is saying. He's saying, as you are a living stone built into a new temple, as you are Christians, you are proclaiming the praise of God to everybody, just as the Israel was supposed to do, just as the old temple did. As we read in Psalms, we're declaring the praise of his glory, proclaiming the excellences of him. And Peter says this new temple being built by living stones has that same purpose as the first one, to worship and proclaim the glory of God, and that extends outside of the household of God, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. What is Peter talking about here when he says proclaim? He's not talking about evangelism. He's not talking about individual Christians going out and evangelizing. Peter loves the word evangelism. He uses it all through this book in 1-2, in in 125, in 4-6. To evangelize is to share God tidings or good news with others. But that's not what Peter says that we do when we're gathered together as living stones in this new temple that Jesus is forming. The word he uses here is exangelo. Outwardly, ex, like exterior, declare. Outwardly declare the praises of God. It has to go out. It has to go out from your midst as a gathering in the temple, the new temple, as you're gathering as the people of God. So here are God's people gathered like a living temple, outwardly expressing God's praise. And if things are working as intended, there are visitors present. This is the point. There are people eavesdropping in on what is going on in the gathered church. And as people eavesdrop in on what is going on here on a Sunday morning as we gather and we sing these songs and we pray these prayers and we preach this word, people are eavesdropping on what they see and what they hear going on in the people of God. And they are in contact with people who are joyful in their knowledge of God. They come into a gathering like that and they can't say this is boring or this is ugly or this is untrue. In fact, when they come to a church working as intended, they see the hope that we have and the God that we serve is true and good and beautiful. And that's how God intended the church to work. God intends that our gathering is important to the proclamation of the good news of who God is and what he's done. Now, what does that mean for you then? That's the gospel of the gathered church. That's the good news of the church gathered and how it is proclaimed. But how do you share it? What does it mean for you that all this is true? You've convinced me, Paul, I understand that. But what does it mean? Well, it quite simply means that everything about church is important to the gospel. It all matters. And this is where it gets really practical. 
Think about this. This is what I want us to think about today as we think about how we participate in this proclamation that God is good and beautiful and that he has rescued us out of darkness into marvelous light. Things like this, the time you arrive matters. How how does your arrival time to church declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into infinite light? How does that compare to stopping at Timmy's or getting a last-minute coffee in the library or finishing that really important conversation in the lobby about your hike or the garage sale that you were at on Saturday versus being in the presence of God's people to proclaim his praises to the nations about moving you from darkness into his marvelous light. The simplest things like being on time matters. From a gospel perspective, which is what we're looking at for church this morning, we have to understand what we are communicating to others as we participate here. This is where it gets personal. God has people watching and people, especially your children and your friends, read into our actions whether we're serious about God and his praise or not, if it really matters to us, if he really matters to us, or whether Sunday morning is just an optional gathering that we can be late to. And guys, don't tell me that you can't be here on time. I've golfed for most of my life. You know what I know, guys? Guys are never late to a tea time. See, this is my backup. I know. People are like, oh, I was so busy this morning. I couldn't make it. If there was a tea time Sunday afternoon at 1.55, you would be there at 1.50, probably 1.45, because you know that if the tea time comes and goes, your golf game is finished. You're not playing. And so every guy, I know you can make it, because four different guys in four different trucks coming from four different households on four different schedules all show up at the tea time five minutes early. So I know you can do it. I know that golf is true and beautiful and valuable to you. What Peter hopes, what we all hope, is that God is beautiful and true and valuable to you. So you can show up at church five minutes early. Of course, that also means that showing up at all matters, that you actually arrive. If your children or your spouse and your friends see that church is an optional activity on Sunday morning alongside sports or sitting on the dock with a coffee or a book or even just because you had a late night on Saturday and sleeping in feels nice, then these people that are observing you as a God-glorifying person, then they know that what happens at church and what is going on with God is not life-transforming to you. It is not joy-giving, grace-enabling, purpose-fulfilling food for you because it is optional you got to show up on time you got to show up but everything matters your attention matters participating and engaging in each aspect of worship matters looking at the words on the screen reading along in your bible amening in the prayers and the message thank you brother i knew that was coming you can always count on mark and the rest of you got it praying when the corporate prayer is being led The enthusiasm of our singing matters. The preparation of our heart matters. The unity of our spirit matters. It all matters. It matters because of what it's about. Declaring the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I think Peter would just ask. (laughs) Peter would just ask, has he called you? 
Do you get it? Do you get how great it is to be at church? Do you get how great it is to be living stones assembled into this new temple that get to declare the praise of his glory to the nations around us and to the people around us? And you might think I'm scolding you all because you do so poorly at this, but I'm actually not. You know, aside from the irony that like 30 of our families aren't here this morning, aside from that irony, Lakeside's pretty fine example and by and large a good church in terms of being enthusiastic, of being here, of worshiping, of being joyful, of inviting people to come and eavesdrop in on the joy and the hope that is here. But I don't want to take what we have for granted or just assume that it happens subconsciously or automatically or assume that I know what your motives are for showing up. And what I want to impart today is a motive of gospel proclamation that your being here Sunday after Sunday, even if you don't realize it, says a great deal about God and it says something loud and clear to everybody who is watching your life. Your being here is not inconsequential. It has eternal consequences for those that are watching, those that are listening, those that are eavesdropping in. It's important that we realize that church is not about the nice feeling we get for ourselves. There is a motive at play here that needs to be external in its purpose. It's not about us having a nice Sunday morning with friends. Church is important to the glory of God because of this ex angelo effect that takes place every time Christians gather on a Sunday morning, any morning, whenever around the world or whatever culture you're in, Christians gather and do this worship thing, do this praise thing. It has an ex angelo effect, Peter says, that it proclaims God to the world around us. Walking by on the street or seeing your commitment to it or by divine appointment of showing up, sitting in the back row or tuning in online to test it out, people are eavesdropping in on what is going on. And they eavesdrop in on your faithful participation and what your faithful participation declares is important and valuable and life-changing to you. Well, our harmony and unity matters as well. I'm just going to pull out a couple of verses here where going aside from Peter, whether we see whether the scripture supports what Peter is saying, what I am saying, do we find in the New Testament church, do we find in New Testament scripture examples where what we are doing together is not necessarily primarily about us, but primarily about the declaration of God? Let's just see if we can find that somewhere. Well, Paul talks about it when he talks about why our harmony and unity matters. He says in Romans 15, 5 to 6, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, the church, to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. This is what Paul wants for the church. Oh, church, I want you to live in harmony. I want you to have encouragement and it be, have unified in such accord with Jesus Christ. Why does Paul want this for the church? Oh, so that you can enjoy one another's company so joyfully or so that you can particularly be encouraged and so that you're among people who think the same way you do. Actually, that's not the reason Paul gives. That's not why he wants the church in harmony and unity. The, the Paul gives the reason for the church gathered. He, he finishes his sentence. He says that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he wants us unified. That's why he wants us living in harmony. That's why he wants us to be of one spirit. Not so that we all feel so good to be together with people that think like we do. 
not so that we're all so encouraged that we go into our week thinking, oh, it's so great that so many people think the way I do and we're all on the same team. Paul wants the church in harmony and unity because it declares the glory of God. Amen. People are watching. Paul knows people are watching. The purpose of our harmony is not primarily for us. Oh, we get the benefit of it. Don't get me wrong. People see our harmony and the resulting praise and it's glorifying God. Disunity is not bad primarily because it makes us upset and angry, but because it undermines and destroys the testimony of the glory of God. The tragedy of disunity is not the hurt that it might cause in us. It's that we tarnish the glory of God. But like I said, of course, God has also so arranged things that his greatest glory is also our greatest joy. If you've been around here for very long, you've probably heard me say that phrase a number of times. God's greatest glory always results in our greatest joy. So, of course, we find it more joyful to be in unity. And isn't it terrific that God has so arranged it that the unity that we cherish to experience that gives us the greatest joy also gives him the greatest glory? That is a smart way to arrange it. Makes sense. God is super smart. Paul goes on in the very next verse. He says, not only does your harmony matter, but your acceptance matters. He says in Romans 15, 7, the next verse, accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you. Well, why are we to accept one another in the church? So that people feel validated, so that they feel welcomed, like feel like they belong because it's so important that we are valued and that the church gives us that feeling that we're accepted and we love that feeling and we can just, you know, go out into the world encouraged That's not what Paul says. Paul says, I want you to accept one another in order to bring praise to God. Once again, the purpose of the church and the things we do together as the body of Christ is the same thing Peter says, to bring praise to God. Our being accepted isn't all about us. It's about our praise to God. As we learned in the conclusion of Ecclesiastes last week, we were created to reverence God. We were created to worship and glorify God, and that applies to every person. Under the old covenant, Israel was set apart amongst the nations to declare the knowledge and the goodness of God to all other nations. In the new covenant, the church, which penetrates every nationality and culture, is the new Israel. By faith, Paul says in Romans 9, 6 and 8, and in Galatians 3, 7, that the church is the new Israel, and this new Israel is set among the nations for the same purpose as old Israel, to declare the glory of God to all people. That is why the church exists. Now again, isn't it really great for us that God, being a good God, has so arranged things that he is glorified when we accept one another and esteem one another? So I'm not saying this is only about God because God is so wise and so good and so beautiful and so loving that he says as you accept one another for my glory you are ultimately satisfied it's amazing that God has worked it out this way God's big instruction to us when he says come to know me and my love I want to rescue you from darkness into light here's my big burden that I'm placing on you Love one another. Accept one another. Live in harmony with one another. People look at Christianity and they think, oh God, he's got all those rules. He's, you know, he's such a taskmaster. I can't have any fun if I follow God. I gotta be this religious person. 
when you read the Bible, you realize that God's big burden on us is to love one another. What a terrible God, you know, to save us from our sin and tell us to love one another. How horrible. No, God is marvelous and beautiful and true, and his instructions are our blessing. When he commands us to live in harmony, when he commands us to be humble, when he commands us to accept one another, when he commands us all these commands that we have to live as God's people are all commands which by obeying them are the blessing. We don't follow commands in order that we get a blessing at the end. The command is the blessing. And the command glorifies God when we do it. Here's another thing that's kind of neat. Not being too weird matters. I'm going through the New Testament and I'm trying to figure out whether what we're doing as a church together is mainly about us or mainly about God and his glory here. And I come across 1 Corinthians 14. Paul Paul is so dialed into the importance of church gatherings as a form of evangelism, as what we are doing here being a gospel proclamation of God to the people that do not yet know them, that he literally tells a whole church full of Christians who were so full of the Spirit that they could barely contain it, he tells them to calm down. And stop being so weird. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 to 25. All through 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit and healing and speaking in tongues and prophesying. And he says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Paul's literally telling the church in Corinth, I love how full of the Spirit you guys are, but can you just dial it down a little? Because you need to understand something. That church, when you gather together, you are a proclaiming nation. You are a people who is proclaiming the glory of God. Paul's not trying to protect the church from looking foolish. Because Paul has already said many times elsewhere that the gospel itself is foolish. We're already going to look foolish. So Paul's not saying this because he's afraid the church is going to look foolish. He says this, but if all prophesy, in other words, if all speak the truth intelligibly, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You see, Paul says, when you are gathered together as the church... It all matters to the proclamation of who God is and to the gospel purpose of saving people. So he says, don't be too weird because people are eavesdropping in on what you're doing. Definitely sing. Definitely praise. I don't have anything against people speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. But when we are gathered together, we do it in a way that when people come in, when they eavesdrop, when they watch online, when they sit in the back row, when they you know, find out what goes on here. Everything, everything that we do matters. The fact that we show up on time, the fact that we participate fully, the fact that we are committed to it, the fact that we're joyful, unified, harmony with each other, it all matters to the gospel because the church gathered is proclaiming the excellence of him and his glory. We saw already last week at the end of Ecclesiastes and again in Isaiah that everyone is made to praise God. The purpose of God's people is to declare praise. He says in Isaiah, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. You see, God formed people from the very beginning to ex angelo, to outwardly 
express the praise of God. We are not our own. We don't ultimately exist for ourselves. We exist for the praise of God. And in so doing, as we praise him well, we make him known. And so it's not just about being at work and sharing the gospel with your friend or with your neighbor. It's about what we do here to make God known in our community. Going back to Peter's words, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, just like Israel, a people belonging to God that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Even though we do not exist primarily for ourselves, but for God, isn't it incredible that by giving ourselves wholly over to God in doing this, it is exactly when we are fully engaged in this mission and in this community together that we find our true selves. Or as Jesus said in Matthew, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. As we give our lives fully to God and fully to this mission that we have, that's exactly when we find our life. Jesus says that his disciples, his followers, are a city on a hill. A city on a hill that everybody can see. Nobody misses the fact. Are we a city on the hill in Halliburton? Is everybody looking and saying, look at those people. And as they look at that city, is it half full, a quarter full? Are some people here like six Sundays Ten Sundays out of the year? Or are the people of this city in that city Sunday after Sunday glorifying God and praising Him? Jesus, Peter, Paul, you name it. This is the purpose of the church gathered. And it's good news for those of us who aren't so great at evangelism, who are like really timid, fumble with our words, don't really know how we do this on our own. You're not doing it alone. You're participating in the proclamation of the glory of God to all of your friends and family and co-workers who are eavesdropping in on your life when you show them how important the worship and praise of God is on a Sunday morning. But there's a little warning that comes with this verse from Isaiah as well. Can't finish without a little more challenge and a little warning. <laughs> he says to Israel with a warning, the end of 22, he says, yet you did not Call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. <laughs> he says, I created you for my praise, and here's the problem, Israel. You didn't call upon me. In fact, you got tired of me. God's complaint, I made you for praise, but where are you? You got tired of showing up to worship. He goes on in this, I won't go into it all for the sake of time and conclusion here, but he goes on, he says, instead of coming and calling on me and and you grow weary of me, he says, you come and you pile me up with your sin and your transgression, he says in verse 24. Even though I'm the one who strikes your sin from the record, and I forget your transgression in verse 25. Imagine if the church in North America, for some reason like Israel, became apathetic. Imagine if the church in North America, for some reason, people just slowly kind of drifted away from church and just stopped gathering together to worship God. Can you imagine if churches in North America, in Canada, slowly emptied out and there was no vigorous, joyful, enthusiastic worship for God and praise in churches across Canada? Can you imagine that happening? Oh, yeah, I think it has happened. I think it has happened. I think the churches in Canada have emptied out. I think the churches in Canada, a lot of Christians, a lot of believers did get tired of God. They wearied of him. And they sort of fell away. And the nation of Canada is realizing the effect of a people who are not gathering faithfully on Sunday mornings to proclaim the excellencies 
of God. And God says to Israel, it's not going to go well for you because you've grown weary of me, because you've stopped calling on me. Now you can apply this to your personal life. We can apply it to Lakeside. We can apply it to the Church of Canada, however you want to apply it. But if you grow weary of me and you stop calling on me, it's not going to go well for you, he says to Israel. You're going to receive the consequences of forgetting me. You're going to receive the consequences of taking me for granted, of assuming that gathering to praise me is just optional. Maybe you felt the consequences of drifting away from church in your life or in your family. And God says there will be consequences if you drift away. And he goes on until chapter 44. He says those consequences come to an end. He says, then God says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit out upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. And then from that point on, we get the prophetic words of the coming servant who is Jesus and the renewed worship of God. And that's us. That's the church. God says to Israel, you've grown tired. You've grown weary. It's not going to go well for you. But there is something coming. My spirit is coming. And it will refresh you and you'll want to worship me again. And that's the purpose of the church, to worship God. God has poured out his spirit and his people responded. So here's the burden that's on my heart. Again, as I was kind of going through this in my mind and in my heart this week, as I consider this encouragement and the warning that goes along with me, with it, perhaps you can share it. Perhaps you can share the encouragement and the warning. Because I believe we can do this. I, I believe we can continue to make Lakeside and our church meetings here our gospel priority, our praise and worship priority. We, we can commit to purposefully considering the gospel importance of what we do here every Sunday. That this is not primarily about us. It's not about us feeling good. It is primarily about declaring the good news of who God is to everyone who eavesdrops in on it. Our worship, our praise, our way we engage, everything testifies to the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of God realizing that that is true in our own families and amongst our friends and with our co-workers. This whole community is watching us. They are watching Lakeside, and they will determine by our attitude towards church what our attitude towards God is. The number one reason evangelical churches grow is that people invite their friends. I saw a statistic online recently, and there were only three categories of meaningful church growth. 6% come to church because of advertising. 6% said they came to church because the pastor invited them. 82% said they returned to church because their friends invited them. And so you might think, I'm not good at the gospel. I'm not good at sharing Christ. I'm not good at apologetics. I can't, you know, argue people and answer all of their questions. No... The thing that gets people to church, it's not special events, it's not bouncy castles in the park. It's just people inviting their friends. People who might ask, this is the only question you have to answer when you do gospel this way. Somebody who might ask you, why do you go to that church? And all you have to answer is, why don't you come and find out? That's it. Just invite your friends here. Invite your coworkers here. Allow them. Tell them. Just watch online. If you're not comfortable showing up, tune in on the stream. Eavesdrop in on what is going on here. 
That's church working as intended, and that's your participation in the gospel. And in saying that, I fully understand how important it is for us, and by us I mean myself as well, and the leadership, and everybody here, and you, how important it is for us to do our job to make sure that what happens here is true and good and beautiful and harmonious and unified and of one spirit and all of those things that are true of the church and fully gospel-oriented for that purpose. In relationship to my part in this corporate gathering and the shepherding of the people and the preaching of the word, and, and this is not just rhetoric, this is not just rhetoric, I can improve at what I do. I really can improve a lot. And I want to improve, and I can improve. But here's the deal. I know you can improve too. You can improve equally as well as I can improve, not as a burden, not because of guilt, but as a challenge to live out the purpose that God has called us to. And a big part of that godly purpose is praising him in the body of Christ. And all you've got to do is show up. And God said, just show up and love one another, and I will take care of the proclamation of my glory. John Dickinson wrote a book called The Best-Kept Secret of Christian Mission, promoting the gospel with more than our lips. Excuse me. He says, normal church meetings conducted exceptionally well will not only inspire the regulars, they will draw in visitors and through the powerful vehicle of our corporate praise, promote the gospel to them. The church gathered is the gospel. This is the gospel taking place right now. It's the good news of who Jesus is in your life and ultimately in the life of everyone who eavesdrops in on it. Don't assume the people watching don't want to come. The people watching you very much are interested in where you find your hope. Or don't think that your invitation and participation is not life-changing. One invitation to one friend or one co-worker can absolutely change their life forever. Don't think that your participation doesn't matter. Your showing up here and joyfully, enthusiastically participating in church matters eternally to everyone who reads and sees and knows the praise of your glory to God. This is where God has set us to this task and to this purpose of the church. So do it intentionally and purposefully to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And in that praise, as you are just here faithfully Sunday after Sunday, we get to see new brothers and sisters enter into his family with us. All those baptisms, you know, all these new faces that you see around us, they are all here because you were faithful to praise and to worship Sunday in and Sunday out, and that is the proclamation of the gospel. Don't think it's not important. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this challenge. We thank you that you've arranged it all this way (laughs) because it could have been a lot more difficult. And you've made it so simple for us. Just come and love one another and love me. And just by gathering as children in my family, the good news of the glory of who I am and the good news of salvation goes out to the nations. And so, Father, forgive us when we have grown weary of you, when we've grown weary of church, when we've taken it for granted, when we've thought that it's mainly about us, when we thought if we show up, we'll get something out of it. If we don't get something out of it, we won't show up. Father, change our heart. Give us joy and satisfaction that that we are blessed by being at church. But beyond that, 
more so that you are praised. And beyond that, that the praise of your glory goes out from these walls to all the people that are watching, whether they're in our family, immediate in our household, whether they're our extended family, whether they're our friends, whether they're our co-workers. You have told us in your scripture, their eyes are on us. And what we do here is important to your glory and to the gospel. Father, give us courage to invite our friends. Give us the strength. Give us the whatever it takes to be here on a Sunday morning and know that we're participating in that gospel mission. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.